0: This is the DLR cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right. Once again, we are back. Welcome to the DLR cast, your artisanal, all natural, filled with facts, opinions, and the occasional speculation. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Sorry. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. I already said DLR cast. All right. One more time. Here we go. I I got it. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the DLR cast, your artisanal, all natural, all natural. David Lee Roth podcast by and for fans of the Diamond One himself, where you'll find facts, rumors, speculation, and a whole lot of fun. As always, I'm Steve, along with my good friend, divine Darren Paltrowitz. What's <laughs> happened, Darren? <laughs>
1: That's a new one. I'll I'll take that one. And it's great <laughs> to be connecting with you. And it's great to be getting another episode out into the world so quickly. Uh, does this mean like three in October already? And we're third through the month.
0: So we're going to have to have nine out this month. Well, it's a good month to do it <laughs> in. I mean, we're a couple of days past uh, Dave's 67th birthday. We yeah. did. We already talked ad nauseum about the big retirement announcement on the heels of low res sunset. And we should get into a whole other episode on just the weird publicity plan or lack thereof, because let's eclipse the new music by not talking about it at all. And just do a a retirement speech in a Las Vegas radio station that takes up all the air out of the room. Right.
1: Yet today he put up an Instagram post with that old message of like the last tour until it isn't. So you're like, Oh, and then some people who, are one or two degrees removed from Diamond Dave are starting to go, this is not the end. He is not retiring. Come on. I, I had an off-the-record conversation with somebody who may or may not have worked with him uh, for an extended period of time, and they said, okay, maybe these are the last gigs, like, tour form, but there will be a spoken word tour and a book. Oh. That, I'm starting to hear, hear those things. Are those yeah. hitting your radar at all?
0: Uh, not at all, but I mean, not yet, anyway. And I, um, uh, but man, we have loved a spoken word thing. Whew. Good lord! I mean, do you have four and a half hours in an evening to kill? I mean, seriously, chapter three.
1: I mean, <laughs> well, Roth's book was—it uh, had an intro, or was it a forward from Henry Rollins? Yeah, and you have to think uh, him and Henry friends. He has to look around and go, "I could do that."
0: Oh, absolutely. And Rollins is just, I mean, God, his spoken word stuff borders on stand-up comedy as well. And he's just so articulate and so gifted. As is Dave when he's focused, always articulate, but not necessarily uh, focused and on point sometimes. But yeah. I was just reminded of the fact that, what was it? The rumor was when he handed in Crazy from the Heat, it was about 800 some odd pages. <laughs> yeah. And the editors were like, yeah, we got to trim this down a bit. Yeah, I mean, otherwise you're doing volume one the mammoth and Van Halen years volume two, the Warner brothers, you know? So, but speaking of people who worked with him, that's a great segue into this week's episode and interview you have with one guitar player, rocket Rashad.
1: Yeah. This is one of those things where you email the person go, uh, any interest in, in doing an interview? And they go, yeah. And you go, really? You like, like you'll talk to us. Cool. And then he basically said, and by the way, my son Kane also played with Dave. And you, and went, you went, what? What? <laughs> and we explored that one in the interview. I think this is kind of an undocumented part of Dave's history, even more than Rocket's era, because something I brought up to Rocket during the interview. Tell me if you agree or if I'm way off base here. It's like, eat them and smile. There's a ton. Skyscraper, there's there's a, there's less, but there's plenty.
0: But still, it was in the. It was, it was a big priority for Warner Brothers. He had a uh, top ten single or whatever. He'd had a oh. massive tour. Steve Vai. There was a ton of press.
1: Little ain't enough. Uh, two or three music videos on that album, but it starts to wane a little bit. And then there's like even less for your filthy little mouth. And then even less you could find on DLR band stuff. So it's like if you want to watch some Diamond Dave footage on YouTube you could find tons and tons of things from the, the O two O three O four tons of that stuff, but you really don't see a lot of live stuff from say 91 to 2000.
0: Yeah. And you know, this is what I call the mystery era, Dave, because you were just reminded me of this and I was looking for it and I dug a little deep there. I never even knew what rock ever shot looks looked like until <laughs> I did a little search, which, and, and, I mean, and certainly I could have done that search before before him, but previously I had never seen heard anything with him. And to the best of my knowledge, there is one video up there, him doing nightlife from Peoria, Illinois with Dave. Dave's wearing overalls, looked like he just came in from the fields of Peoria, Illinois, for God's sakes, with no shirt on underneath. And it looks like it's Ron Wixo on drums, Jamie hunting on um, yes on uh, bass, I think that was Brett Tuggle. And then finally the camera goes over to stage left a bit, mainly for what was a great solo at Nightlife. And I'm like, all right, is that the, what's his name guy from uh, the early years? No, wait. And then I read the credits. For the first time ever I heard his playing. And outside of Dave, this guy has done a lot of work and it's really curious because he's got two songwriting credits, which I, uh, 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 with Dave but on his website i mean there's and he's got pictures with everybody yeah. and except for dave and one of the things i learned from your interview was was he did a lot of work with dave he was this filling yeah. guy and he was the guy who did, he did a lot of touring but there's nothing on him i can remember and i am not kidding so this was kind of a tough era to be a dave fan in 94 right yes. because the star had fallen i can remember my friends giving me a lot of shit <laughs> one in particular going Dude, she's my machine. Come on, man. And these were guys I went to go see the a little enough. To, uh, this these are guys I went to go see uh, Eat em and Smile with, just a few years before, right? And then they're like, I distinctly remember the first time I heard who Rocket Rashad was was my buddy, giving me shit. Because he was just like he's got another new guitar player. Who's this Rocket Rashad guy? What is he a hockey player? And that is no knock on the name or him, but we just didn't know. There was nothing yeah. in the guitar mags. You know, it's a it's a couple of years after Jason Becker's unfortunate Alzheimer's, and 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 uh, at the t- you know at the tail end of recording, uh, a little ain't enough. Never toured with Dave, yeah. um, and what a lost opportunity that was. Who knows what they could have done in the future? You know. Post that era to get post that album together. So yeah. to me, this is like a gigantic find, man. This is like I learned so much, especially with his son involved, too. It was a really cool interview.
1: Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. The the revolving door of musicians in the 90s, like putting us on the spot here. So Rocky came in and out on guitar. I forget the guy who you find on some websites he did some of the little Ain't enough touring, but not he was in Dogs Dumal. Uh, what is it? It's something like Deserex Demals. Like I forget what yeah, it's
0: something like that. And when I and when I saw um Dave on the Little Ain't Enough Tour with Cinderella Extreme in about a three quarter full Knickerbock arena in Albany, New York, which I think later turned into a Pepsi Arena. Yeah, I wanna say it was some guy Joe uh, It was
1: Joe Holmes.
0: Joe yeah. Holmes on guitar, yes.
1: Joe yeah. Holmes went from DLR to Aussie. I may or may not be tracking down the contact information on Joe Holmes. I cannot confirm nor deny that <laughs> I have this contact information in my possession and am fathoming how I reach out to a person I have no idea. I've reached out to multiple people who either know Dave or the one degree removed and be like, hey, do you know Joe Holmes? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I, I think he doesn't want to be found. But either way, there's Rocket. There was Joe. There was the second guy. There was Terry Kilgore. Um, uh, Bart Walsh was in and out. Right. I think I'm leaving out like two other people as well.
0: As far as the active band. I mean, we're not counting John Five that only did studio stuff when he was John Lowry back on the DLR band.
1: He was supposed to do the tour, but he, he got the Marilyn Manson gig after he got the fight gig so there's so many people that are in and out sometimes he has two guitarists on stage sometimes he has one guitarist on stage and it's such a head-scratcher because this period is super undocumented and depending on what you hear that this is what i gather from the little ain't enough era in europe the tours arenas they were packed they did really well and then they came to the us and it was kind of like a r- rude awakening where they didn't realize the fan base kind of wasn't there. So they had to cancel a bunch of shows and scale down some of the shows to a club. Is that what you've heard too?
0: I did. Well, I always thought the club stuff happened with your filthy little mouth. And there's a couple of things out there on YouTube. There's one from Pittsburgh, and that was Terry Kilgore on guitar. But as far as I know, they played arenas but not for very long and i don't know if the tour stopped but it was three quarter full arenas on the, a little a enough tour and what's interesting about that was i remember hearing that he was going out with a rhythm guitarist and i thought this is going to be cool that's what he did in europe when they got to the u.s cost savings yeah. dictated they just that went out with joe holmes
1: and that reminds me of a, a few different eras in his life where the sammy hagar uh joint tour one guitarist then I think in 03, you had a second guy, Toshi Hikeda playing guitar. And then I think it went back to one guitar. And then on this Vegas residency, when I saw it in 2020, it was two guitars. One of those guys quit, and he's now in RAT. And now it's one guitar. Right. So- Is it when he has two guitars, is it a contingency plan in case one quits? Because tell me if you remember this. When they were first announcing the Vegas residency, they said there was going to be three or four guitars on stage. Do you remember that?
0: Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I'm like, what is this, Leonard Skinner? He's going to have two drummers? It's the Allman Brothers or something? I'm like, what the hell? Yeah,
1: so, you know, repeating myself for the probably fourth time here, Rocket's history is extremely undocumented, unless, you know, you're a Steve Herald of the world. Uh, <laughs> Steve <laughs> Herald will probably like, you guys hey, Steve. don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and then... Steve, um, we'll have you back to debate your filthy little mouth and the merits of no big tank.
1: <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. And then we find out that with Kane, you know, not spoiling that much right here, but Kane, the son of Rocket was in Dave's band and slated to be in the
0: first iteration of the Vegas residency. We Which, learned that. my jaw dropped, like, what? Huh? I think, I'll tell you, when you think of it, Vegas, he hadn't played live in, since the Van Halen time, right? Since 2015. But he hadn't played live solo since 2007? He did no solo dates during the... Van Halen a composite essentially what, which, which was the Van Halen reunion, which when you think of it lasted eight years. 2007, right? Uh, 2012, uh, a different kind of truth comes out. There's a tour for that. The tour, so he did no solo stuff. So it's like going through the Rolodex, right? And finding somebody new, somebody old, somebody borrowed, somebody blue. I don't know, right? I mean, he had a he had a story, he was starting from scratch when you think of it. Hence hence, I, hence, the fact that Vegas, nobody knew who these guys were.
1: I was trying to do more and more research, and it sounds like Dave has done some private and corporate gigs in the last 15 years as well. So there's always a chance that we're totally wrong that he did a bunch of gigs. It's just, I guess they were kept off of YouTube and whatnot. You know what I'm talking about when, when yeah. you, like you're playing the Amazon holiday party or whatever, but, and you're getting... Three That's, times the money your normal
0: gig <laughs> that stuff eventually comes out. The, I mean, maybe not on YouTube, you hear about it or something, especially I would think nowadays, where for goodness sakes, anybody of any celebrity status sneezes and it gets out there.
1: Have you ever seen this? Is putting you on the spot here, and this might not be about Dave Lee Roth. Have you seen any bizarro corporate gigs like a huge band playing to 50 people?
0: Not or bizarro was- gigs, but two of the best, you know, I mean, everybody. People who know me for more than five minutes knows that next to Dave and Van Halen, I'm also a and Kiss, I'm also a massive Cheap Trick fan, hence most of the time wearing a shirt like I am now. And yes. I saw two Cheap Trick corporate gigs in Minneapolis. One was for a Jack Daniels corporate show. Okay. Because I knew I got into that. And it was one of the best set lists I ever saw. This was back when Bunny Carlos was still in the band. And they yeah. opened with like a song I'd never heard him play before. And then they did a Marlboro cigarette show at this tiny dinky little club in downtown st paul which is no longer uh that held like 200 people another great set list but it was so surreal because there was like a burrito and taco bar and who's across from me getting an initial putting something together was tom peterson (laughs) yeah I, i mean so it was just that's my only two experiences but the shows were great they were fantastic
1: I can imagine. I, I've seen two different Beach Boys gigs in restaurants. Uh, the, these things happen. And I know I've never seen footage of this. I know that there was a Kiss corporate gig that they did about 10, 12 years ago that was on a beach in Jamaica to something like 100 people or 200
0: people. I heard, of, I heard about that. Yeah.
1: So what I'm getting at is for all we know, Dave is playing for the Sultan of Brunei and we just don't know about it. So, but odds are that you are correct that there were not any solo gigs after 06. I know I saw one in 06 in New York City, and his backing band had changed yet again. It was Jimmy DeGrasso on drums.
0: Oh, for sure. The- former YNT drummer, former corn dr- uh I think it was Ian Corn for a minute. He was, no, I I know Jimmy is very well because I'm a big Y&T fan. Megadeth? Megadeth. He was in Megadeth, big yeah. Match. He um, was in Rat, yeah. Lion, I think. He's, he first got in the Ray Double Y&T. What's that? I think he was in the
1: Bullet Boys, too. Possibly. Yeah. So at that point, the fact that he was in, Ray Luzier was out. There were still musical chairs at that point, because I don't remember if he had the second guitarist, Toshi Hikeda, on that. But what I'm getting at is, yes, you're probably right. 06, 07, that was the last gig. Then the announcement came in 07. Of the Van Halen stuff and touring, I believe was 08 that it kicked off.
0: Um, no, at 07, because that album came out in January of 07. It came out right around the turn of the year, if I recall. I'm pretty sure. I'm uh, sorry, the, uh, the, not the album, the the reunion. Yeah, wait, shit. No, a different kind of, t- e- oh man, different I'm kind of truth kind of was different. 2012. The first reunion, yeah, was 2007 or 2008, something like that, yeah.
1: And then the Live in Tokyo album was, like, 15?
0: 2000. Somewhere around there, 14 and 15 was the last tour um, with that last show at Hollywood Bowl and stuff, so.
1: Yeah, so uh, he didn't do any solo gigs for a long time unless there was corporate gigs, unless there was another weird one-off, like that Boston Pops thing when he performs Jump with the Symphony Orchestra.
0: Please, please, don't even start. I, I, I can't.
1: So yeah. So uh, now the fifth time right here. So Rocket and Kane, uh, the second father-son duo to have ever played with David Lee Roth, because you know, <laughs> Wolfgang. Uh, <laughs> right. and I, I tried to keep it as positive as possible, but we kind of learned during the interview why Brett Tuggle may have been so long tenured. Which is intriguing to me, and how Brett Tuggle was supposed to be in that original Vegas run in 2020. Totally wow. different man than what we saw on stage.
0: Wow, and yeah, that's, um, again, so much mystery, right? And especially for this era, it, it was certainly cool to have a son on there. We learned a few things musically about how Dave does things, which I thought was really cool. After listening to the interview and just. Man, I wish he ended up on a record or did some other stuff with Dave or wrote wrote more with Dave. They had two songs on A Little Ain't Enough. For whatever reason, there wasn't more than he was the utility guy, it sounded like.
1: And his credits, of course, as you called out before, real deal stuff. He was with Cher and Molly, et cetera. It's a sign that you go, hey, Rocket, we need you to sound like this. And he can.
0: He's a versatile cat.
1: Absolutely. He was a nice guy, funny guy, pleasant guy, honest guy. And after taping an interview like this, I don't breathe easy going, ha, ah, we got a bit of an exclusive. I go, oh, great. Now we have to get Chris Griotti. Now we have to get Mike Musselman. Now, now, now there's like 15 more people we have to get on this show. So the rest never stops.
0: It's always super interesting. And I don't think any of these guys necessarily from what we've heard so far – I, nobody really holds bears a grudge. I mean, but like anybody else, you're working for Dave. It's not this isn't a group effort.
1: Yeah, you you get the vibe that the original DLR band were his contemporaries of sorts. They were his peers. And then, you know, at a certain point, you're older than everybody working for you. And there's a bit of seniority thing on top of experience and success. And the original DLR band, the people had credits, whereas you could. Oh, argue- I, she,
0: you mean Needham and Smile band. Yes. Yeah. Well that was that was a really all for one, one for all sort of thing. Remember, they were all in the photos together. Yeah. They were a band. It wasn't a so I mean, they weren't called a DLR band, but it was David Lee Ross band. They were all in the photos together, which I remember back then thinking was really cool. And it was he always talked about them. It was a really uh, granted, one album and one tour, unfortunately, but it really was kind of an all for one you know, we're marauding touring pirates here, going to, you know, pillage and plunder every arena. And that's the way it went out. I mean, I remember I saw there's photos somewhere, I can't remember where it was, but there's like a either it looked like a backstage post uh, concert, because they looked all sweaty and messy post concert, like meal or something, right? And yeah. they're just the all four, the four of them are there at this table and there's a ton of food and booze and everything. And you can just tell they're looking like they're having a blast. Would not be surprised if the subsequent bands, for the most part, they saw Dave. He well, he doesn't do sound check. They saw Dave infrequently, right? His own bus. Which hey, that's fine. A guy guy with that long of a career shouldn't be bunking with four other guys and one tour bus. You deserve your own, right? It's just when you think of it, it really it was totally as probably it should be the total Dave solo thing. And yeah, it's not the Billy Joel band. It's not. I mean, it's rare that a solo person with a long career keeps any one band for a long time i mean or or the band is almost as big of a name who is it bruce springsteen the street band tom petty and the heartbreakers it's a short list
1: it's a very short list even billy joel changed out his band around oh two something like that yeah he had a bit of a revolving door very 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 short list like alice cooper who's known to be the greatest to his band most of the people who join the band are like i'm waiting until i have enough of a star to have a solo career hence you know kip winger and red beach leaving that band and but Kate- cooper cooper
0: publicly has said he loves that he lo- yeah. he's proud of the fact that these guys have gone on to other things and he never holds anybody back it's like that's fantastic and most of his bands do stick around for a good uh, for a good while you know i mean it's for a couple tours at least it's not somebody new every summer so it, again it's 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 a, it's a rare thing, I think. So it's we're not sitting here at and Day for it. It's just very interesting.
1: Different dynamics for different bands. But this was a fun interview to do. Uh, if there's anything that we missed, if anybody hearing this goes, how dare you not ask Rocket or Kane X, Y, and Z, let us know. Maybe, yeah. maybe we can justify a part two. But if not, I think there's more to be learned about this mysterious shadow second Vegas band that existed. And then plenty of other people who played with Dave in the nineties, including the aforementioned Joe Holmes. We have a lot of work to do here. And we thank you for bearing with us through the different eras of Dave.
0: Right on email us at the, the DLR out at outlook.com with your tips and info it was it was a great interview i mean it's again this is it's it's the mystery era the mystery
1: era (laughs) you know there's now going to be a bootleg cd called the mystery era when it's like a random 1995 show at brownies in new york city or something like that
0: oh yeah or i mean again what what else i mean was there stuff for your filthy little mouth that that didn't make the record was there stuff from a little ain't enough half demos half finished um you know, I mean, who knows what?
1: Yeah, I, I got to cut you off there. I, I'm taking a. I'm trying really hard through somebody who knows Bob Ezrin to get him. I don't know if we're going to get him. I'm not holding my breath for that one. But this was the second or third interview where it came up that yeah, before he was working with Bob Rock on a little lane enough. Yeah, he was working with Ezrin. Like
0: what? That was that was complete news to me. I don't think anybody uh, that. That was complete that hearing that little bit, I, I did a double take. I was like, did I just hear that? Right. Was that a mistake? Was he thinking of another Bob?
1: Yeah. And he later worked with Bob Marlette. So maybe I could have gotten the, that third Bob uh, wrong right there. No, we, we still have to chase down this Ezra mystery train and figure out what happened here. How, how do you start an album with Bob Ezra and then wind up with Bob
0: rock? I mean, it, it could have been anything could have been scheduling, could have been artistic differences. I mean, as uh, When you think of it, Ezrin's kind of an odd choice for Dave. Uh, Ezra also gets a lot of co-writes on his productions.
1: You're right about that, but is there a more co-written album that Dave did than A Little Ain't Enough?
0: Right, Ever- but when I'm saying it for a producer, yeah, that's what I mean. That's one yeah. extra person. You got two or three, you have at least... Yeah, there was a lot of people that chipped in on A Little Ain't Enough, but I mean, who knows? It's just, I'm... I just think of it. Ezrin's one of those guys more so than most producers where he gets a lot of songwriting credits. Just go back and look. I mean, yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of his work with the last few deep purple records. He's got co-writes on there. Alice Cooper. He's he's done Alice records the last two or three, maybe four records. I'm not sure. Including welcome to my nightmare part two, which is awesome. He, yeah. I mean, Ezrin's working a lot. He's, I mean, he's one of my favorite producers, whether it's Alice Cooper or the Jayhawks of all people. I mean, he's, I, I've, I could talk. I would love to talk to that guy about just about any, you know, everything else in his career. For goodness sakes, when I, if I see him on a podcast, I dive right into it.
1: Yeah, we've got goals right over here. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for tolerating. And if anyone is going to <laughs> Vegas, and I might see you at any of the five shows.
0: Yes, <laughs> we 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 need to pencil in in November or December, kind of. If if we get leaks as far as who's in the band, we have to do a, a quote unquote very special episode, the the Darren goes to Vegas episode. We'll of course do an episode after the shows, but kind of a lead into it. What do you think we're going to see? I mean, it's the more I think of it, it's, it's going to be really interesting, especially if it's the last uh, shows.
1: This is something that I mentioned on an episode a long time ago, when we were waiting in line for the second show. There's this guy who is kind of a know-it-all who wanted to demonstrate that he was a know-it-all. He's like, yeah, my father was telling me that ACDC is recording a new album right now at the studio in Vancouver. And he was right. He was right. (laughs) That was (laughs) one of the only times that an insider has ever actually had the scoop that they were volunteering correct. So, uh, yeah, my uh, my ears are going to be open as I'm waiting in line this time. When somebody goes, yeah, Alex was spotted backstage and go, oh, he's he's coming.
0: Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Greg I,
1: Renoff, I think, had the theory on the Izzy Presley uh, podcast for Metal Edge. He said, you'll see the backstage Alex Van Halen embracing photo. You will not see him on stage. I think that's uh, that's a very true statement.
0: I think so. I think so. I will stand by the fact that I don't think we'll ever hear Alex play drums live again. And I don't. What's he gonna do? Pick up? Get into another band or something? I hope. I hope I'm wrong, but I just. It's just pure speculation on my part, which we're certainly pros out here at the DLR cast. But I just think he's gonna be with his horses and cars, and he's got a great family. And if he if he's playing, it's at home. I'd be shocked, man. Shocked.
1: I'm going to disagree with you right there. And say- <laughs> We're going to find out in X number of years that Alex Van Halen played on a number of albums under Alias, and he plays on the next Wolfgang album. That My money would be on that. That God, dude. has an Alias, and he this whole time has been playing.
0: All right. I did say we'll never hear him play live again. True. I could see. All right. Well, I'll give you that. I think it would be really cool if you're Wolfgang and you love playing with Alex, which you were doing for the last... 15 out of your 30 years or more right why not have them on a track or two certainly you don't want to do that for your first album you did it all and but who knows i mean what what the next album might bring right i mean just one track uncle al sat in and i loved his feel for it and he jammed and this is it
1: I'd have to figure out which album it was. It was an album that was on the Saddle Creek record label, but Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the Machine, who publicly does nothing, like his sole album, I think is 14 years in the works. It's like an Axl Rose Chinese Democracy kind of thing. <laughs> Zach De La Roca played drums on three songs on some album under Alias within the last like two, three years. Like, you're like, number one, Zach De La Roca plays drums. Number two, he played on a rock album. Wait, what? <laughs> I, I think that Alex in one of the horse barns has a kit set up and we'll find that he played on guitar Zeus for the Carmine Apathy thing. Oh,
0: for God's Something. sakes, man.
1: <laughs> but, but, uh, Hey, that's all I got today. You Steve. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <Guitar> <laughs> Zeus coming soon. <laughs> no, thanks for listening. Kane, Rocket, a pleasure to be speaking with both of you. The first question I I have is somebody who's named Rocket. Is there a name for short? Do people call you Rock? Yeah, people do call
2: you Rock all the time. (laughs) Shane used to call me Rock all the time. Um, Yeah, some people always abbreviate it to Rock. Hey, Rock. Uh Hey, how you doing, Rock, instead of Rocket. I think Rocket's too much of a space thing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I believe it what, I ask that question to a lot of people Like for example when I interviewed Tommy Lee I said does everyone in the world call you Tommy And he's like well when, when my mom was mad at me She would call me Tom You know that yeah. kind of a thing right. So right. you never know right. if he's Rocket To like if you listen to his music He's rocking. and if you know him in real life He's Rock Yeah I, I hear your friends call you Rock all and, and if you really Know me for
2: long enough They call me Ron Because yeah. that's my real name Real name, well, you,
1: you know what I mean? But, but I, I usually never answer because I don't know. To I never. Nobody usually calls me that anymore. So when you were playing in Diamond Dave's band, there was two guys named Ron in the band at the same time. So, and well, you. it was
2: Ron Wixo. Yeah. One, one band. You know, it's different versions of Dave's band.
1: Who was the other one? I, I don't know. Well, it would be Ron and you. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Ron Wixo and Ron number two. Well, either way, thank you for for doing this. The reason I wanted to speak with both of you is there's so many, I would say between 1991 and 1999, there's not a lot lot known about David Lee Roth's backing band, the people played on his records, the songwriting, etc. And both of you have ties to Dave. So I figured I got to document this because he'll speak with me. So going to you first, Kane. Uh there's nothing on Wikipedia about you playing with Dave. Was it a couple of gigs? Uh Was it an audition? What was it? So what it was, and
3: and this is why I'm glad we're doing this, because I think if we we didn't do this, it would be entirely undocumented. (laughs) Uh, What happened was Dave was getting this was before the pandemic.
2: This is when Brett Tuggle was musical director
3: again. Yeah, it was Dave was wanting to do gigs that would have been this year is before we knew the pandemic was coming. Um and my friend Chris Griotti was hired as um the guitar player. He he wanted to hire a young band. So I so yeah. got my buddy Chris. Chris recommended me for the gig, not knowing that not only had my dad previously played with Dave, but Uh, You know, I'm really good friends with Brett Tuggle, who was MDing and playing keyboards and stuff. So what I did was I I, I came to it was like a soft audition. And um, those auditions kind of turned into a couple weeks of rehearsal. We didn't really know what we were were rehearsing for because it was an ambiguous kind of like just like, you know, uh, Dave wanted to make sure he could get a band together to do show if if it all worked out and all that. So I did like two weeks of rehearsal and um, and then the management came and they're like, cool, so we're going to do this residency in Vegas. It's going to be from this time, this time. And I I had conflicts. I couldn't do it. (laughs) So I was like, shit, I can't I can't do it. So I had this I essentially
1: played with Dave for a couple of weeks entirely in private. (laughs) That is there's so many interesting, interesting things in what you just said. And you don't realize that because. So, my wife and I went to two of the gigs from what was that residency and yeah, the Hard at, Rock yeah. uh, at the House of Blues House in, the blues, in Vegas inside oh, Mandalay wow. And I'm I heard still- that on YouTube. Boy, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm also going to five of the shows, all five of the shows, as luck would have it you know, later this year and in early January. But what's interesting is you mentioned Brett Tuggle, music director, yeah. because on stage for those shows and the Kiss dates, we saw Danny Wagner on keyboards. So it sounds like the band entirely changed from <laughs> what you did to what we yeah. saw on stage and with Kiss. It was exactly that. And
3: what I think that the only person, because Chris Griotti didn't end up, wasn't at the house no. it was either. So what ended? I think the only person who played those shows who were who was in the initial rehearsals with us was this guy Ryan Wheeler who was playing mm-hmm. bass. I think it was entirely different. Than everybody else. Um,
2: yeah, Tug yeah, left. <laughs> I,
3: I, I, yeah, I, th- I, I think Tug left. I think Chris got fired.
2: <laughs> it was, you know, it was it's a nice whole story. Tug called me when he when he uh, about Kane, and he said, "Rock, uh, are you interested?" I said, Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I'm not doing that again. It was because of me, not Dave. He didn't want to play with me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Again, there is so much to unpack there because uh, we we do see that he has the same bass player for this run, but the drummer changed. From, Did he uh, change again? The drummer from, changed again. It was Mike Musselman, right? Mike Musselman is out now. I'm supposed to okay. speak with Mike. I don't know if he quit, if he had conflicts, or it was a change again, but it seems like the drummer changes every tour since Vincent oh, yeah. left in 91.
2: Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure yeah, he's is. he's real hard on drummers.
1: Yeah. I don't know why.
2: Well, yeah, they're all, all good.
3: A, yeah, well, totally. It's just specific. I, it's interesting,
2: like... <clears throat> what, what, tell me what he told you when, you, when you're playing for you a song. It's great, great, but... But oh the, the endings. No. Well here I'll go into a few.
3: Symbols. You wanted oh, a- yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: to Cib- he loves symbols. Yeah.
3: He he, he the, the cool thing with Dave, or the thing that I liked and I didn't realize um until I was like rehearsing with him was what a big big band, big band jazz guy he was. You know, he's so into that whole thing and like art blakey, and he was like referencing all these jazz drummers to me, which which was rad because I didn't know that was. You know, I guess I kind of always heard that influence a little bit in Van Halen and stuff but I imagined it came from the van Halens or something i I, I just didn't assume that it was it was Dave's thing but um but yeah he kept, you know he, he, he was really specific about endings of songs like wanting them to be this big kind of dramatic big band ending and um, he was really specific about you know counting songs off with like a lot of gusto even even <laughs> even, gusto. In, even in rehearsal you know like a big I and mean, there would be long rehearsals I and mean, it was just like top count was if you didn't kind of give him a lot of energy up front we, we would the song would not start and we would do it again
1: wow well yeah. yeah. it goes to you Kane because when we go over your credits uh-huh. now I, I was very aware of Devo 2.0 I don't know um, if that's a project that you're super proud about, but that and Portugal yeah. Man and Elon Rubin himself, a young phenom drummer that yeah. wound up in Nine Inch Nails. When people are like, "Isn't that guy too young to be in that band?" So yeah, you know. your credits are amazing, rocket. Of course, Roth is just one of your credits, and you played with the Bisnets on all those Friends cues, and I had right. the pleasure of interviewing them. So it's great to see two generations of steadily working musicians. And Rocket, your website we see the story of how Kane became a drummer rather than a guitar player. I think sure. was it during your time in the Greg Raleigh band, or which tour was it when you pointed him towards the drum set? Oh, he started with, when you were, but yeah, three was, years yeah, old.
3: You were that was probably that was when you were doing.
2: He'd come and see me with Step. My wife would bring him when I was on the road with John Kane Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. I'd Throw them in the drummer's room so me and the wife could have fun in the other room. <laughs> and the drummer had a practice pad, and then he just started showing him stuff. He just started yeah. playing. And then when he came home here, I'd ha- I set up a couple little trash cans for him. And then my dad bought him his first mini drum set. We still have that. Yeah, I started, I started playing drums when I was really, really young. Yeah, and I was kind of really, I.
3: I, I I don't know why I was reluctant to play guitar. I always had guitar. He plays guitar now. But yeah, I think actually around the Greg Raleigh time was when I started playing guitar more. And now I play guitar
1: in bands and stuff. Also,
2: and keyboards. Mostly guitar, though. I know. Keyboards aren't my thing. It's great watching him play guitar. Yeah.
1: I could imagine. So, how does this all go back for you, Rocket, in joining Dave's band? Because before you toured with Dave, you co wrote the song Last Call, which was on A Little Ain't Enough that's yes, that one right there. You can't see it. I can see I can see that record there, yes. Oh my God. That song is not
2: on the... It's on the other side of the record, so I can't see it. But I know it's that one because that's the only Roth one I got. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we, we used to just get together at, at Greg's house. When he's, he used to live off of Topanga in Woodland Hills. he had a little studio in there. And we uh, just come up with ideas. I don't remember who came up with... You know, that lick for us, I think it's a lick. I haven't heard the song in so long. Mm-hmm. But, uh, then we just do a demo, a bunch of demos and a bunch of different ideas. We had me give him to Dave and you just write lyrics. He was never there. Mm-hmm. So, so it was never, yeah. uh, he was never involved. He just would we'd give him a song, he'd fall in love with it, and he had to do it exactly the same as the demo.
1: That, that's right. actually. Um... Sorry to cut you off there. That's something that I just learned the other day by interviewing Robbie Neville, who wrote the song A Little Ain't Enough, that he demoed it, tracked it, and then Dave kind of put the finesse and changed the lyrics a little bit. Do you think the whole album was like that or almost the whole A Little Ain't Enough album was like that? Well, when he hears a demo, he, he falls in love with him. And that's just the
2: way it is. I mean, when who's the guitar player that took my place, uh, he's got get real sick is oh, Jason Becker or Jason, Jason Becker yeah well the demo I did on that record I mean for that record was another another song I can't remember which one it was called but he played the same exact slide solo that I played because Dave fell in love with it and he's a really good player he can come up with something probably way better but you know that's how that's how Dave is he just likes everything exactly like the demo
1: hmm. He gets too used to it he gets so used to it and that's just that's just it. Well, something that I haven't been able to figure out, and Robbie Neville mentioned this, was that album, A Little late Enough, was produced by Bob Rock. Yet there's right. word that Bob Ezrin was originally producing it. Do you remember anything related to that?
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I, mem- I remember Rock coming in, Bob Rock coming in. I don't know what happened with Ezrin. Um, That's when I was kind of out of it. You know what I mean? When they were doing that, those records. Um, I think it was Ezrin. Is when i got becker in the band i think he said you need a real hot flashy guitar player and he is he was really a good guitar player but uh you know that's when i said okay bye and then and then jason you know got kind of sick and he didn't take him on the road i can't remember i think steve hunter took his place i don't remember so many players and then uh, when they were on the road there was another guy that played guitar too his good old friend, I think it was Eddie's like rival. I can't remember his name. Um, Terry Kilgore? Terry Kilgore. All of a sudden, they just dropped him off at the airport in England and said bye, and that's why I had to fly in the next
1: day and take his place. Uh, he He was just a nut. Wait, so you were in, then you were out, then you were in, then you were out. That's
2: right, and I kept going okay it's gonna cost you more every time i do this you ain't thinking are you
1: okay and then so you were there like your longest steady run was if wikipedia is correct 93 94 that your filthy little mouth tour um well it wasn't it wasn't
2: really it was a club tour we did i did with him and then after then it's so can't remember who was playing with who. who was it was Wixo, it was
3: Bissonette. I saw footage. It was like you, uh, Tuggle, Bissonette, and James.
2: And James. Well, that was probably Wixo.
3: Wixo and James on bass. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. It was Boysco. Yeah, that was the band, band I, I played. with.
2: Is that <laughs> then, we went, yeah. then we went, then when Kilgore got fired, that's when we did like small arena tours, mm-hmm. you know, in England, Europe, all that stuff. That was Wixo. <laughs> that was Wixo. And uh, what was that song? A Little Bit of Luck or
1: something like that? Yeah, A
2: Little Bit of Luck. <laughs> like tour. The tour manager co-wrote that with him.
1: Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's so much unknown about all this because and Smile had a couple of videos. I know that the, from Billy Sheen that there was a pro shot Show, but it never came out. The skyscraper, there's pro shot footage, but it's on YouTube, but it was never really released. And then for 91 and 94, we see almost nothing at all. You know, just a couple of YouTube videos that are shot from the crowd bootleg styles. So, hence, people like not necessarily knowing that you were in the band, but you know, it sounds like you were there on and off three to four years. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was wacky.
2: i to go toward somebody else and. Uh... All of a sudden, I get an emergency call again. <laughs> it was crazy.
1: It's crazy. And then a name that's come up a few times, Brett Tuggle, or Tug, as you affectionately call him. I believe he's at, he's been out with Fleetwood Mac. He's a steadily working guy, too. He also seems like he's been in and out of the Roth fold, like, three or four times. Oh, yeah. Well, he's been out with Lindsay. He just got
2: home a couple of days ago. I just talked to him, and uh, he did a, they did, like, a theater tour you know it was like a three-week thing i think he had a good time and uh i think they're taking a little break and they're going out again yeah tug's been in and out dave used to always call tug when he went on the road even if tug wasn't on the road with him because he needed to get the keyboards for jump yeah so they play along with with a track with yeah brad has
3: like the stuff off the record somehow. Yeah. He has like he I I was talking to him in rehearsal. He got the record
2: from Warner Brothers. He has
3: yeah, he has like he he did this even in this, he had like the at one point, I think probably back in the day when you guys were all playing together, he had like the tapes. He got the tapes from Warner Brothers. He transferred them. So he could do like, you know, he could get the jump keyboard patch. He sampled it off the record. He got the like he got some like background vocal, like a dumb thing. So he's got it's so rad. So he has this keyboard just full of these awesome
2: like van halen stems <laughs> yeah it's rad i ben. can't believe i can't believe they sent me the whole yeah sessions oh he said listen to eddie i went over his house he said listen to eddie's guitar yeah. she's just got you pushed your track up and that's he had that's he has, eddie he at one point had the tapes yeah yeah it was it was fantastic really cool he's got them yeah. all in pro tube now and he played me a bunch of stuff it's like when you hear it eddie's solo you hear that little room and it, mm-hmm. it's kind of a the tone is kind of shitty in a, right. in, a, in a certain way, but in the track, it sounds great.
3: Yeah, it's like weird. When you listen to it isolated, it's
1: weird. Very weird, it's like a yeah. kazoo. Yeah. But, that that all reminds me of in the mid 80s, there was a, a Kiss thing that happened where they they were taking out a keyboardist on stage, Gary, <laughs> Gary Corbett, who we lost a couple of months ago. And they fired him, but not fire, but they didn't realize like, hey, he has all the patches. So they had to bring him back on the road to try and get the patches back from him. Yeah. Gary, Gary Corbett died. Lee. Gary yeah, died
2: a couple oh, months ago. I was on the road with Lou Graham. Oh he was the keyboard player. Yeah, I that Gary. Took the keyboard player oh, yeah, played with KISS. Yeah. He Gary. took the keyboard players place that died in Canada when we were on the road. What the hell was his name? Shit, I can't remember. A name. He died. Gary came in and took over for him. But yeah, you know, back in the day when the only way to get these stems were off the reel
3: to reel, it's like that's a whole process that nobody wants to go through more than once.
2: And huh? you gotta bake the
3: tape. Yeah, you it's like a oh, whole shit. problem.
1: <laughs> now it's so easy, obviously. But yeah, yeah. Just out an yeah, rock band and guitar hero and all those people exactly. can isolate per se. Yeah. So. Yeah. You so rocket. Do you look back at your time with Dave fondly, like putting all the quirks aside? Was it great, or did it take time to heal off the whole thing?
2: <laughs> well, you know, it was. It was fun when you're doing it, uh, until you start really getting to know his his attitude and his. We used to actually hide from him when we're in England. We had double decker buses. And we see him coming down. He's all grumpy and shit. He doesn't have any pot or whatever. <laughs> you can see his face. Argh. We just go, oh, here comes Dave. We all run upstairs. So, so he'd come downstairs and we'd know where, where we were. Where's the guys? Oh, they're upstairs. And the bus driver would take off. We'd, hide, we'd do a lot of hiding. He was fun to go to a titty bar with. <laughs> he'd give everybody a bunch of wands. Come on, guys, look sharp. We're going out. You know, shit like that. But, you know, he's he liked a lot of he liked chaos. Mm-hmm. like chaos. Uh, like, I don't know if I told you the story last time. One one show in, it might have been England. We go to the sound check, and he walks in, and I can see his face is all grumpy. And he goes, bring the back line up 20 feet. And they already did all the lights. They already did everything. So everything was focused. So the crew had, and we had like 15 minutes to doors. open. Yeah.
3: He'd probably have some big, you know, reason why he wanted to do do that stuff. Look too small or something. He wants the gear to be... Or even why he likes shit to be crazy right oh, yeah. before the show. Right? Yeah. It's... Like, the thing is with him, because, you know, I've grown up my whole life. First of all, I love Van Halen. Yes. Because I grew up with Van Halen, because my dad loves Van Halen. Who doesn't love Van
1: Halen? Yeah, great band. Billy Eilish doesn't. Other right. than Billie right. Eilish. Everyone. Her day
3: will come. I'm sure yeah. she'll... Uh, the right <laughs> time will come for her. But... You know, and I grew up with these stories of Dave and I was always like, you know, enamored by the stories and their funny stories and their stories. I, you know, I get the off the record stories.
2: (laughs) You get these stories from everybody.
3: Yeah, and I get them from everybody in the band. And so, you know, going into this, 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 these rehearsals with him, I was so excited and I was so curious what the vibe would be like, what he would be like. And the thing I realized after working with him was, you know, I was having this experience where... All the same character, all the same quirks, all the same nuttiness that my dad always describes me. It was there. But for me, contextually, it was so different. It was the, it was like a, I was like, yes, it's I wanted it to be true. I <laughs> wanted that to be true. And I and I got such a kick out of it. But I can imagine that if it wasn't if it, if it was, you know. If it was a contemporary of mine or something like that, not this rock legend who was not of my generation, you know, he is of my dad's generation. If he was an equal to me, he would probably drive me fucking crazy. Right. But because he's Dave Roth, the fucking rock icon, and he made so much music, I love so much, and, and he's, you know, there's so many great stories about him that I loved the whole thing. I loved that experience and I loved hanging with him. And I could also see that like, yeah, he's just a really specific dude. He's got a reason for everything. He knows exactly what he likes. He likes it a certain way, and he can explain to you for as long as you're willing to oh, listen. Hours. He'll why be. it is that he likes it that
2: way? Yeah. You know, he's not a thoughtless person. No, he likes to hear himself talk. He's he's not dumb at all. But, he's,
3: but he's a he's a ah. he's a kooky dude. A I, kooky I dude. loved it. I loved it. So same guy to kind of the
2: polarizing <laughs> experiences, but I mean, after rehearsal, you know, we we get beat up because, like Kane said, you have to kind of like. Really perform. I don't do that yeah, usually at yeah, rehearsals. Right. I just work work out my parts. I'm not going to be jumping around and sweating or right. all that shit. So Save my energy. He wants to yeah. see he it. He wants though. to see it. So you, you're working your nuts off for of four or five hours in his cellar, which is a big safe. His dad's old house that he bought from in Pastina, mm-hmm. where Van Hansen used to rehearse. Yes. Big echo fucking cement tank. That horrible. Oh, uh, geez. Well, you went down there. No, we rehearsed at Mates. Oh, we rehearsed at Mates. Mm-hmm. Oh well and and he after all that was done okay we're, we're done we see clocks everybody wants to split but this is his talk time now and he starts talking and stories and I remember me and tug and greg and matt just looking around going
3: mm-hmm.
2: we want to get out of here we'll okay see, you just
3: remind me of one, see, one, one, see one see a story. yeah okay so I'm, I'm gonna tell this story really quickly it was the first day of rehearsal um and we had gotten, you know, I was kind of told by Chris, he was like, hey man, so just so you know, and I already knew this was going to be the gist, he's like, try to learn the stuff pretty verbatim, you know, that nobody wants to hear it any different, just do it the way it's on the record. I was like, great. So I prepped real hard on it, wasn't that tough, because I knew all that, all that material so well, anyway. Yeah. We sh- And then we get an email from uh, the management, and they're like, cool, we want you guys to come to rehearsal. An hour before Dave, just get warm, get loose, whatever. And then Dave will come. And this is day one. I hadn't met him yet. So we come down, we're playing, we're sounding great, whatever. And then then the manager goes, okay, cool, guys. So Dave is going to be here uh, in about five minutes. He'd like you to start a song. He'll listen from outside. And if he likes it, he'll come in. And so
2: so, That's what he used to do. He used to stay upstairs and listen to us downstairs. Yeah. It's just the same kind of shit. Don't, I don't know why he doesn't so, want to start it. So we with. slammed
3: into a song. We did it with a lot of steam behind it, right? I can't remember what it was. And literally, like, two seconds, we didn't even get beyond the intro. Dave busts the door open, comes in, goes like this, gets us to stop. He goes, all right, so you guys can play. And then he goes, and then he just started talking. Uh, he, was, he just started talking about, like, his philosophy on life and then where he came from and all that stuff for the rest of the rehearsal. We didn't play another note. <laughs> and that was that was day one.
2: That's it. And
3: it was about it was about
1: a three hour, it was like a TED talk. Oh, okay. but it was, it was fascinating. So many questions. If 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 I can throw a couple of questions based on what I'm hearing, uh, Paul Simon, it's kind of come out over time. Paul Simon was not a sound check guy, and so yeah. Steve conti sometimes, who you know, would be his. I'm gonna sing the Paul Simon parts in rehearsal. Is there somebody who does lead vocals? And the reason I ask that is because when I've watched Van Halen when he was back in the band, soundcheck mm-hmm. footage, it was always instrumental. Meaning, I guess they were just so good that they could rehearse the whole show instrumentally. Was mm-hmm. like was the bass player singing guide vocals or anything like that, or were you all just so strong you knew the material you could do it instrumentally? Not only was it instrumental, he never um, sang. He, he never sang.
3: Never I sang. I never heard him saying one time said he, he never sang another not for the two weeks i mean he would every now and then what this is what he would do <laughs> yeah he would jump in with like a bit he'd he'd want to go for the big one and he would and that would be fun and get a little glimpse but he would just walk around on stage to each musician and just watch what you were doing and kind of go like that <laughs> and watch and if and if it didn't phase you he'd kind of give you a smile and
2: walk to the next guy and just do that all day long. Oh one time he came up to me <laughs> just like that. Before came uh-huh. and he, no, play right over here. Yeah. He points at a part of the neck to play. Uh-huh. Dude, yeah, I'm like in this key. I, I, you know, it's going to, your versions are all going to be wrong. Yeah. So just play over here. Yeah. Me, we laughed about that. I mean, not me and Dave, but the band. It's an interesting challenge. And then he said once to me one time, I'm starting. I uh, ain't talking about love. And it's a muted guitar part. You know, it's a palm yeah. mute. He grabs me. He goes, don't ever dampen on me i said what the heck the fuck is dampen dampen on me i'm not dampening on you that's the <laughs> guitar the part guitar. yeah don't have it dampen we laughed i mean the breast of the band we just laughed so hard because i said i i don't know what fucking dampen yeah, means yeah you mean mute oh, okay okay you want the guitar part to sound different Uh huh.
3: yeah i got a couple oh, of yeah
2: so when he, hey, he said, more symbols for you.
3: There is something else also where he wanted to hear a different part, but it wasn't the part from the record. I didn't really dig my feet in because it was like early on. But he, yeah, I like ended up ch- playing a different drum part that was not the same drum part as the record because okay. he wanted it. He thought it was a different part, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. He
2: wow. got two songs mixed up. To-
3: I mean, I deal with that shit all the time. It's always that. I mean, that's sure. like, you know, know, more, it's always that. A lot artists are a lot like that. Especially you know. especially uh, in projects that are led by a frontman who's not necessarily an instrumentalist.
0: You know, sure, because right.
3: because then a lot of times what happens is they're really, they know exactly what the vibe they want. They know exactly what the feel shit. They be. don't know how to tell they you. They don't know how to tell you.
2: He plays a little guitar, you know, Ice Cream Man and stuff like that. Knows, you know, your basic chords and stuff. But not really. Yeah. He doesn't, you know. He doesn't really play an instrument, so that's exactly right. He, yeah. he uh, I remember one time at a session, he goes up to the engineer and he goes, "Can you make that guitar sound like an organ?" Mm-hmm. The guy said, "No." But it, but what he, he meant was Leslie. a Leslie.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, but it, right. Leslie, but he didn't know what that word was. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you so- know. Like that, it's like it's like Cher trying to tell you, uh, play over here. She didn't play guitar, she doesn't have the faintest, it's
1: the same kind of thing, but they're both great, in yeah, their, in their way, yeah. You know? They, Vegas icons, both of them. It, in your case, Kane, when you were supposed to be behind the kid and all that would you also have to work the samples like the, the siren that leads in on running with the devil or is there a sound man who's handling that and triggers? That was, that was Tuggle. So that would be, he, he would have hey, those
3: things on his, on a keyboard patch and he would do that. But that being said, we didn't do, I don't know how Dave has done it. Um, like kind of in the past or nineties on, if there was ever, if they were ever playing the tracks with metronome or what, but the, the kind of the part that I liked most uh conceptually about the way the rehearsals were being run and, and the show was going to happen uh, when I was playing was it was just no tracks. It was no click. It was completely wide open and, and free. So
2: well, when we when I was with him after Bissonette complained like crazy because they were like to speed up, you know, when, when they were one of these huge skyscraper times exciting, and shit. Yeah. And Greg said, you he, just shake his head on stage. No, I got drummers out there that are watching me. You know, I'm in like one of the biggest bands around right now. Dave Roth was huge. I'm not rushing. I'm not going to fucking do that. So what he did, he started playing with a click. Get Dave used to it. Somewhere between live speed and the record speed, he'd have the click so he got comfortable. As soon as they did it live, he'd say it's too slow. Yeah. (laughs) At rehearsal, it's all fine. Live live's too slow. Yeah. Yeah, Except it's the same exact (laughs) tempo. Let's bump it up one more. You know, you get, you get excited live, so you, you think yeah. everything's
1: slow. Things feel slower. Yeah. yeah. And, and then yeah. Kane, you just mentioned that he wanted everything to be live, yet the Vegas shows that we saw may have had Michael Anthony's backing vocals recorded uh-huh. to the mix. I mean, the, the backing vocals, I'm, it was a very great tight band but clearly yeah. backing vocals were being patched in and i had the feeling that just the gigolo was entirely pre-recorded and being performed on possibly jump as well so it's interesting to hear that the band changed the recording situation <laughs> might have changed it sounds yeah. like we saw a different show than what was being rehearsed i think so
3: and I, I, that and yeah, and I remember talking to Ryan. I, I think a lot did did change. I think it did become a little bit more track dependent and stuff like that. And who knows why? There's a number yeah, with of- us too.
2: In the '90s, it was like that because Tug would play all those trumpet parts on all You know those but it, big band things. I gotta it say, play to a click. It's it sounded it sounded
3: fucking rad in rehearsal when it was just raw and it wasn't I, I think there ended up being a second guitar player on the gig eventually yes. like in rehearsal it was just one it was three piece and dave and it was fucking rad so wasn't Al Estrada on guitar for your sessions oh no, it was only chris griotti and so when he would take a solo it would be an, it would be bass and drums
2: just like and, the record and it was.
3: was so cool it had this like hendrix experience to it it was it was pretty raucous and and rad but you know that a lot of times people aim for that and then you get it's hard to not get uh back off from that and get shy to do that you know when especially when you're someone like dave who's this at this point in his career and you and you don't want to go out there and do a show that people are gonna you know that it's gonna embarrass you or something
2: or fuck up. Well, you we always get critiqued. I'd have guitar players in front row doing right. this to me. Yeah. <laughs> just give me the finger. For the whole show. Yeah. You're not Eddie. No shit, I'm not Eddie. But what do you want me to do? Yeah. I
1: got this gig and I gotta do it. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So you you guys have been so generous with all that information here, and I don't want to just dwell in the past. I want to say, tell me what's going on. I think I think I know the answers to your current project. But uh, Kane, tell me what you're working on at the moment, because obviously you're not harping on that gig. And obviously, Portugal, the man is like four credits ago.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm working. uh, I'm in a duo called More. Me and my uh, my buddy, Malcolm McRae. It's just the two of us. It's spelled more the way M-O-R-E and we have an asterisk at the end. You can people you can most easily find us on Instagram if you just type in our account is more the band. Um, but that's what I'm doing. That's my that's my main project. And I just started playing with um, Haim, too, right now. And that's really? funny yeah, I get to do drums and guitar. So me and Danielle, the singer, she also plays drums and she plays guitar. So we just we swap back and forth. And that's really fun. So I'm just, yeah, doing would you few just play uh, Santa
2: Barbara Bowl? Santa Barbara. Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Sound great. Sounded really they're good. They're great girls and they're a great band. Um, they're very good.
2: The, she's really the, the drummer. Too. She's an awesome drummer
3: um so yeah those that. you know that's what i'm up to these days We're going oh to- i just
2: did, i just played on one thing that kane got me the gig for with that jake well his buddy jay yeah the drummer in the band yeah a band what was called fan-, fan fiction fan fiction yeah, they're really cool they sound like a steely dan band they're really yeah. good really
3: good players yeah it's like it's, it's a bunch of friends of mine who are really great musicians and they're all they all have this shared um obsession with like Eight like late seventies, eighties like session or studio records, like Steely Dan, Toto, and all this. And they they kind of went for that and did it so authentically, all original songs, really good. It's a little bit humorous, a little tongue in cheek. Where
2: can they hear that?
3: You can hear that anywhere on Spotify. (laughs) The band's called Fan Fiction. They're pretty easy to find. The song is called What's the name of the song? (laughs) Look of Girl. Look of Girl, which is (laughs) it's funny tongue in cheek, but. Anyway, yeah. It's good. The singer's
2: good. The drummer's great, Jay. Yeah, it's
3: been, you know, it's been a weird year, obviously, of the pandemic, but we've just been in here
2: more Well, they've been in, the in, the here, in this little studio writing mm-hmm. all year. They've mostly been recording at Sound City.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow.
2: They did the record. That's what they did the record, yeah. Yeah,
3: that's where we
2: do our record. I used to record there all the time. It's totally different in now.
1: Yeah, it's still nice, though. It's, it's great. It's, no, it's, it's great. It's really nice. I can imagine... Right. Now, in your case, Rocket, are you still in the Greg Raleigh band, and that's the main bread and butter? No, he's he was out with
2: the All Star band, you know, for, Rango. Rango for the last I don't know five six years. So that's been his basic thing. He did he didn't have enough gigs? We would probably do five six gigs a year. Mm-hmm. It, it turned it turned into a pain in the ass. Me learning relearning all this shit again. You know, Carlos is a weird player. He's not. I can't explain it. It, it He doesn't yeah, play really like the licks. He plays like odd stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, his bands are weird. He's out of tune most of the time. So <laughs> you have to kind of fix that and learn his parts. And I had to cue everybody. You know, you got to learn these solos and he likes them extended. Yeah, those are hard just songs. turn it yeah, it's a pain in the ass. And uh so, I mean, I don't think he's going to be doing many more of those gigs. He's just going to probably go out with Ringo next year. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. Nobody's really touring.
1: Yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny that those are the gigs that were mentioned. Ringo and also Greg Raleigh, because those are, you know, former David Lee Roth drummers as well. <laughs> you have Greg Bissonette and Ringo's right. band. And Ron Wickso, I thought, was doing the Greg Raleigh uh, gig for yeah. a while, too. So yeah, he's been, he's been doing it since after
2: Storm, that band Storm with Greg Raleigh and him. Yeah, since Greg Raleigh band went out, he's been the drummer.
1: So it's kind of like the, the the three degrees of Dave have just yeah. followed you, whether or not you wanted them to.
2: Yeah, can't yeah. get away from the guy. Well,
1: yeah,
3: it's it's that thing, and it's and it's still alive and well. You know, it's this it's, I experienced this with my friends, where you know people meet up on one gig, and then you know a lot of times you you meet a band that you just. You love the guys, you know? And you and
2: get then, referred by somebody that's in the you yeah, And then you, know? you,
3: want your, you want your dudes on the next gig you're on, you know? And then it ends up being
2: this little revolving, weird, you know? Most of the time, you're just hanging on the bus. It's always hurry up and wait. You know what I mean? So if you don't get along, oh, shit, that'd be, like, terrible. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, bad <laughs> enough we had,
2: we had to hide from Dave. At least we could hang with the band. <laughs>
1: And then, uh, as I mentioned towards the beginning, Rocket, we hear you playing on those friends cues. So you're one of those people that everyone imaginable has heard you're playing, whether or not they realize that. I'd have to imagine that that's a flattering thought, that everyone's heard your music in some form.
2: That's the best gig I ever ever got lucky enough to do. I did that for nine nine years, nine seasons. (laughs) It's fantastic. Residuals are fantastic. It's, it's like the best thing. Mailbox money. It's great. Right. Really, really good. And good players, you know, Greg and Matt were always on there. every now and then we'd have somebody else, Michael Thompson. Sometimes he wanted two guitar players. I'd recommend Michael Thompson. Or, you know, I think I think Landau did it one time. Too. You know, I just recommend another guy. But I mean, he only did like one show. So, you know. Right. So I but think I actually, I... Michael Skoloff used to treat me really well because he'd wait until i get off the road to book these dates which was great for me so i only missed one season
1: yeah well so so i think the biggest takeaway we have here is you guys are the second father-son duo to ever play with david lee roth oh who's the first eddie and wolfgang oh yeah that's right right yeah but uh I'm impressed by both of your discographies and both of you. I'm looking forward to the music that's coming next. So thank you both for being so candid and having great stories and for the great music as well. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you.